The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Matthew chapter 9 this morning. How, how you doing getting along with other people? How's that working out for you? We tend to think in our ignorance that working with people could actually be something separate from our ministry. In fact, I know men, I know pastors that work very hard to put a wall between themselves and their people because they just don't like people. But people are our business. And we have to learn to get along with people. Look at Matthew chapter 9 with me this morning at a man that probably had a difficult time with that. And his name is Matthew. Look at verse 9 of chapter 9 of the Gospel of Matthew. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Now you have to understand, Matthew was a man nobody liked. He was not just a publican. He was the chief of the publicans. So he's a Jew working with the Romans to steal from his own people. A tax collector, as far as the Romans were concerned, was a freelance guy. We need this much from your people. You raise as much as you want. We want this much from you. So they could go out, if if the Romans required $10,000 in taxes, they could go out and and levy $15,000 in taxes and keep the other five. Nobody liked a publican. He was a traitor. He was a thief. He was a collaborator with the Romans that were occupying the land. And yet Jesus called this man to serve him. And I think about Matthew every day. That man had so much to overcome just to serve. From the moment he trusted Christ, he was transformed. But he had a closet full of skeletons. He had offended and maliciously used everybody in his life. If we care to, we can discover some principles for establishing right relationships and restoring those that have been broken. Matthew had to. We don't live in a vacuum. Romans 14, 7 says, for none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. We have to get along with people. We have to find a way to overcome that personality that irritates us and love them anyway. We have to find a way to get along with people that obviously don't like you, but you have to get along with them anyway. Our relationships with other people are at the very core of our Christianity. It's where our Christianity either works or fails. If you never learn how to get along with people, you will never have a ministry with anybody. The way we relate to others and interact with others is where our Christianity meets the road. 
And there, there are three main reasons why we experience difficulties in relating to people. Feelings of inferiority, a troubled conscience, conscience, or some bitterness that just has welled up in you and, and you can't get rid of it. Let's look at those just for a moment this morning. Feelings of inferiority. The key to developing a relationship is the ability to project to someone else interest and acceptance of that person. Someone who has feelings of inferiority never shows interest in other people and is never able to accept other people. It's very difficult for them to open up to anybody else. And it's the greatest hindrance to their friendship with others. You are convinced that if you open to others and start a legitimate conversation, find out something about them, they're going to ask something about you. You're afraid of that. Because you feel in your heart, if you tried that, you're going to be rejected. And rather than being rejected and pushed aside, you just don't bother to try. You stay by yourself. You live in your phone. You eat at a table for one in the four winds. Feeling personally inferior is going to rob you of the ability to openly and freely love other people. You are saddled with a reluctance to meet and get to know anybody. Matthew 22 says, Thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. That's not just a command. There's a principle involved there. It is not conceit. Now, we need a better self-image. Some of us in here need to come down just a touch on our self-image. But most of us need to build a better self-image. It's hindering our relationships. It's a feeling of self-worth. Self-worth is a feeling of being content with yourself, you know you. You're never going to be totally satisfied with you because you know there are things that need to be fixed. You know everything about you. But self-worth colors every area of our life. If you have a, a bad self-image, it's going to affect you. It will affect what you wear. It will affect who you marry. It will affect the friends you choose, the goals you set in life. And even your personal relationship with your Savior is going to be affected by your belief of who and what you are. A, a proper self-worth will give you poise and self-control. You have an opinion of yourself that is neither too high nor too low. You're not perfect, but you know you have value. And if I could just take a minute and talk to those of you that are really struggling with, with, with self-image. Let me say this to you. If Jesus Christ allowed himself to be crucified and his body broken and his blood shed and his back ripped open with a cat of nine tails and beaten and slapped to the point that you couldn't even tell he looked like a, a human being. His visage didn't even look like the visage of a man. If the Lord of glory that made everything you see around you was willing to do that for you, you have value. You're worth something. You're worth more than all of the rest of creation combined. All of that is going to go away, but you, he redeemed. And you have value. Understand your value. Give yourself freedom to fail. Give yourself freedom to forgive yourself. Give yourself freedom to go on from mistakes. Be aware of your faults, but never be defeated or obsessed with them. 
A person without a proper self-worth is dissatisfied with himself, feels inferior to everyone else, and gradually withdraws from social contact. All he can see is his faults. He's the sum of all that is ugly, useless, and unwanted. He doesn't live in a sense of happiness, doesn't live in a sense of joy or satisfaction. All is discouragement, all is defeat, all is fear. It is as though he's determined to live out the image he's created for himself. Nobody likes me, so I'm going to just be the person nobody likes. We live in a a sense of of spiritual self-abasement. But you have to understand, self-abasement is not humility. Humility is I know who I am before a holy God. You are living in a dark area where you are constantly reminding yourself of who you are in front of other people. That's not humility. It's only when we genuinely accept ourselves that we can forget ourselves and turn outward to others in service for Christ. Otherwise, we spend our lives selfishly. We become lonely and bitter and suspicious and maladjusted people. We're either really quiet and nobody even knows we're there because we don't want to interact with anybody because we're afraid to. Or we act out. We're loud and boisterous and obnoxious because we we demand that people notice us even though we don't like ourselves. And I saw that as a teacher at the academy for over 20 years. In the first week of school, I could point out the student in my classroom that had the worst self-image because they were the, the, the bad kid. They were acting out showing themselves to be uh, uh, uncooperative in any way they could. And I never looked at that child and said, oh, okay, okay, you're a problem. I would look at that child and said, okay, you're a project. And I would go to that child and I'd get to know them and I'd draw them out and I'd give them something to do for me. And I'd try to build their self-image because that acting out was an obvious sign they had a poor self-image. Our inability to build and maintain good relationships is a sign we need a healthier sense of self-worth. God made you unique and he made you for a purpose. God made you in his image. God has accepted you in Jesus Christ just like you are. And he has loved you with a love unfeigned and will never change. Don't get puffed up in yourself, but understand your worth Understand you're important to God. Understand he's called you to do something specifically for him that only you can do. Understand you are important. Understand he values you. He loves you. He cares about you. He thinks about you. He rejoices in you. His thoughts about you are never ending. And his love will transform you if you'll let it. The second reason we have a hard time getting along with people is a troubled conscience. Conscience is a word that simply means self-awareness. I know who I am. I know what I am. 1 Timothy 1.5, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience. The end of the commandment, meaning the best it can do is give you a pure heart and a good conscience. Ask yourself some probing questions. Who have you wronged. And you can put God in that list. You know, you know, most of our sin, to be honest with you, is against God, not other people. 
So who have you wronged? Some person you've wronged, yes. But what about God? Have you, have you grieved the Holy Spirit to make the Holy Spirit sorrowful because of something in your life? Where, where is there a relationship that you have not made right? No one ought to be able to ever accuse you of wrong that you have not made right. We're going to make mistakes, and you're going to say things you shouldn't say, and you're going to offend people, and you're going to do dumb things. It's because that's who we are. The problem is we don't bother to make those things right. They don't, they don't prick our conscience. We don't walk away and think to ourselves honestly, ooh, probably shouldn't have said that. I need to go back and make that right. Who is it you owe something to? You know, the Holy Spirit's not happy with you until you make that right. Matthew says that. If thou bring thy gift to the altar and remember that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave your gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Okay, here's what you do. You're in your room and it's prayer time and you get down by your bed and you're praying and before you can hardly get a word out to God, God gives you a name and an instance and a situation. You know what God's telling you? Pray later. Go fix this now. Leave your gift and go make that right. And then we can talk. You need a clear conscience with people. A third is bitterness. You know, bitterness is detected very easily in people. They hear it in your voice, in your sharp tongue, in the way you talk about everything. And anything and everything you don't like gets advertised by you. You're bitter, so you see everything through a bitter lens. Your favorite phrase is, I don't like. I don't like this. I don't like that. Been eating breakfast over the four winds. You know, when I was in college, we barely ate food at all. Where I went to college, they had something they called family style. You know what family style is? A free-for-all. We'd sit at a long table. There'd be like 10 of us at this table. And they would come to one end of the table and drop a bowl of potatoes on that end. And everybody would dip out of that bowl. And if you were at the other end of the table, you might not get any potatoes. And what they did just to keep us off guard, they kind of played Russian roulette. They would, they would put the potatoes on this end at one meal and on that end at the other. So you couldn't sit on any, any particular end of the table and expect to get any food. You didn't know where it was coming from. I can remember going to supper and getting the dregs of what was left. You know, you get, you know, one, one piece of broccoli and it was just the stem. And some potatoes and, you know, a half piece of bread. And hardly getting anything. And we've been eating over at the Four Winds, which, my goodness, how do you people not gain weight? There is so much food over there. Yet we have students in here that say, I don't like. It takes bitterness to have seven lines of all you can eat and then bother to say, I don't like. And you're bitter. You don't like your teachers. You don't like this course. You don't like the projects you have to do. You're, you don't like this. You don't like that. It's, it's Florida. It's too hard. 
What's bitterness in your heart? It, just, it has to come out. And it comes out by you finding every little bitty thing that you're not absolutely completely satisfied with and then proclaiming to everybody around you how much you don't like it. And you know, people don't like that person. Are you aware of that? Your friends may even sit there and agree with you, but they don't like your complaining spirit. They don't like the bitterness that spews out of you all the time. Everybody wants peace. People love to hang around people that are content and happy. My wife is one of the happiest people I know, and I'm, 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 I'm drinking water to think this through before I say something stupid. My wife is one of the happiest people I know. I have nicknamed her Tigger. She gets up in the morning and she's just as happy as she can be. Well, I get out of the bed. It takes me about 15 minutes to figure out that I'm out of the bed. And she, she gets up and her, her favorite phrase is, look at us. And she would say, look at us having breakfast. Look at us going on a trip. You know, look at us in the mountains. She's just happy in whatever situation she is in. And people love to be around happy people. People that, that their glasses always have full. They see the good, they never see the bad. And if something bad happens, they're going to make the good out of it. Everybody who knows you, if you are bitter, they know you are a bitter person. They sense it, they feel it, they hear it, they're aware of it. Every time you open your mouth. Bitterness comes, you know, from the inability to forgive someone who you believe has wronged you. You think about it, you plan it, your revenge, you vow to make them pay, you allow your heart to hate. It's a poison. It'll seep into every relationship you have. It'll spoil everything it touches and it affects everybody around you. Hebrews 12 says this, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, catch the next phrase, and thereby many be defiled. Your bitterness doesn't just affect you, it affects many around you. You might not be making a lot of friends, you might not be building the relationships you want to build because your bitterness is running people off. If it's not, it's because you've decided to be the bird of, of, of feather and everybody you know is just as bitter as you are. How do you rid yourself of bitterness? Take an inventory of the people with whom you have broken relationships, parents, teachers, church leaders, friends. Now here's a thought for you guys. Some romantic interest that you had in high school. Did you wrong that girl? And girls can be awfully, awfully tough on guys. Girls, do you, have, do you have any idea how hard it is for a boy to ask you out? It's, it's terror in our heart. You've got to put yourself out there. If you're going to tell a guy no, learn how to tell a guy no. She doesn't know how, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Did you hurt somebody back in high school? Now you're in college and, oh, that's in your past. Oh, who cares about that? It's, it's back in the past. Let me tell you something. Fellas, if, if you took some liberties with a young lady in high school and you haven't yet apologized to that young lady, that's going to come back and haunt you. You're going to stand in a pulpit one day. You're going to go for a job interview one day. You're going to join a church one day. And you know where she's going to be? Right there. And as soon as your eyes hit hers, you're going to know, 
hmm, should have taken care of that a long time ago. What do we do? Decide if you think somebody has done you wrong to forgive them. Here's what you do. Take a piece of paper, list every offense against you, list every offense that you think you've done to them. Take the offenses against you, ball it up, throw it away, and ask God to help you forgive every bit of that. Take the list of offenses that you've done against somebody else and check them off as you make them right. Be specific and be thorough. Pray and forgive all offenses toward you. Look beyond their mean-spirited human intentions. I'm going to tell you something. People that have done me wrong and said unkind things to me and been rude and insensitive have always helped me. If someone criticizes you, the first thing you have to think about is this. Is there any truth to what they just said? And God can use anybody, God can use the meanest character in your life to make you better. If you'll just pay attention to the criticism and ask yourself, don't, don't bow up and puff up and say, well, they had no, think about it. Is there any truth to what they just said? God doesn't always send friends your way that, that are honest with you and tell you things about yourself. Sometimes he'll send a mean rascal in your life. Think it through. Think it through. God will use hurtful people to teach you lessons. What about old Joseph? Did you ever think about Joseph? Love what he said. You meant it to me for evil. God meant it to me for good. All of you have brothers and sisters. It never occurred to you to sell them into slavery. Well, it maybe it occurred to you, but your parents wouldn't allow it. They sold that boy into slavery, and he forgave them. I had a teacher come to me once when I was principal of the academy because this one parent was just giving us a fit. And all up in business and, and demanding things and fussing about everything we did at the academy. And that teacher came to me and said, how many times are we going to forgive that parent? I said, wow, Jesus said something about 70 times 7. Are we up to 490 yet? And it didn't mean 70 times 7. It meant an unlimited amount of time. As many times as is necessary, you're to forgive. Don't let bitterness put you in a position where you can't forgive. When you forgive, you can respond in love to that person. And the barriers to expressing proper appreciation and affection are brought down. Now you have a ministry. You didn't have one before. When you surrender, you don't change the past. You enlarge and enrich the future. Ask for forgiveness for any offenses that you have perpetrated. And ask forgiveness for the right thing. If you ask for, a, for an action, you've missed the point. Now, you're probably going to ask forgiveness for an action, but when you go to that person to ask forgiveness, you're not thinking about the action. You're thinking about the wrong thinking behind the action. And if you will do that, it will make you properly humble. Because if you're thinking about the philosophy and the, and the, the thought process behind the wrong thing you did, then you are really focusing on how bad you are and what part you played rather than the part that they played. Let me give you some examples. You didn't treat a formal romantic interest right. We mentioned that before. Let's go back there. You took liberties with them. 
Or you lashed out at them when that relationship ended. You got angry and said bad things about them, acted ugly toward them. You know what you're really dealing with? Anger. Or you were dealing with lust that got out of hand. Well, if you, if you approach them with the attitude, you know, you know, things didn't go well, you know, between us. That's not the proper spirit. But if you approach that person and realize, you know what was wrong in that relationship? I allowed lust to get in my heart and I took advantage of something I had no right to. And you understand who and what you are. So your attitude is where it needs to be. That you are at fault. And nothing they did led to that situation. It was all you. Or you got angry when that girl or guy broke up with you and you lashed out at them and said horrible things about them. You realize what you're dealing with? Anger, anger and pride. Understand what's going on in your heart before you go apologize because it'll, it'll give you the right spirit when you go to apologize. You screamed at your spouse. Any, any married students, how many married students we got here? Oh, not very many. Keep trying, girls. You, you, you screamed at your spouse because they didn't live up to your expectations. What, you, you know what you're dealing with? Selfishness. It was your selfishness that looked at your spouse and said, you're not what I think you ought to be, and until you become what I think you ought to be, I'm going to fuss at you. It was just, you're just being selfish. You're at odds with your parents because they were not perfect according to your standard of perfection. Well, you know what your real problem is? Wrong response to authority. So you can't go to your parents and say, yeah, I'm sorry, I lashed out at you. No, if you do that, you're not really going to come in the right spirit. But if you know in your heart, you know what I did? I did not respond to the God-given authority in my life, and I am wrong, and I need to get this fixed, because if I don't, God's going to put a heavy hand on me. You may be complaining about something or person, and we often focus on the one uncomfortable thing in our life, ignoring all the blessings around us. You know what you're really dealing with? Ingratitude and lack of faith. Say the right thing. I've had people come to me and apologize and say, if I was wrong, if, never say that. Don't say, I hope you will forgive me. You know what that is? That's putting the pressure back on them. See, I'm spiritual now and you're not. I hope you have the strength to forgive me. Never say those things. Please forgive me. I was wrong. Don't build yourself up like some spiritual giant. Your intent is to lay yourself at their feet and plead guiltiness before them and keep it between the two of you. People do this. They'll go apologize to someone and say, boy, sure I'm glad I got that right with them. I did that wrong and I went to them and I begged them to forgive me and boy, I, I feel better. Well, now you spend it all over the place. What, what are you doing? You're puffing yourself up to look like a spiritual giant. When you go to someone and apologize to them, keep it between the two of you and do it as soon as possible. The longer you wait, the more difficult it's going to be. Consider the foundations of genuine, lasting relationships. Genuine self-acceptance. Sensitivity to other people. Serve the Lord together. Get busy serving God with your friends and, enjoy, and ask them to come join you. Nothing draws people together like a common, worthwhile goal. It's not easy for Matthew to follow Jesus when he stopped to consider the frayed and broken relationships that his profession, he left a trail of sorrow behind him. He made enemies everywhere he went to make things harder. He was sent to preach to the very people he had wronged. 
He had to ask forgiveness. He had to make restitution. It's not going to be easy to make things right with every person in your life you have ever wronged. But if you desire to be used of God, it must take place. Then you can be free to serve others. Then you can be a blessing to everyone who crosses your path. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.